It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Matt Shawley, and this is Politics Without the Boring Bits. Coming up on today's episode is our latest monthly Times Radio focus group asking real voters, they voted Conservative last time, Labour this time, what they think of what is going on in politics. And as Times Radio becomes the election station, we discuss polling and focus groups with the How to Win Election crew. We'll have a little snippet of that as well. And don't forget, if you like what you hear on the podcast, you can listen to Politics Without the Boring Bits live on Times Radio on your DA. Radio on your smart speaker or download the Times Radio app. It's Politics Without the Boring Bits, weekdays from 10. So to kick off Times Radio becoming the election station, I went down to Downing Street to watch the cabinet ministers arriving for cabinet. And because on my show we play the quiz, can you get to number 10? They were seeing if they could get to number 10. So while they went to number 10, I shouted out, can you get to number 10 quiz questions? With hilarious consequences. Oh, a couple of cars have pulled up. Who's this in the front vehicle? Uh, red socks. Oh, it's, uh, it's James Cleverly. Uh, the Home Secretary. Uh, let me find the home question. James Cleverly, what's the southernmost point of the UK? The southernmost point of the UK. Oh, there's Victoria Atkins. Try half the question. What's the scientific name for your kneecap? No, they're not. Oh, James Cleverly being very polite and letting Victoria Atkins go in front of him without answering the question. Oh, Lucy Fraser there, the Culture Secretary. Uh, which singer made history yesterday by becoming the first artist to win the Best Album Prize at the Grammys for four... Oh, she's gone. Oh, it's Esther McVeigh, the uh, Common Sense Minister uh, and Minister Without Portfolio. Um, uh, complete this well-known phrase, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Oh, no, she's, oh, no, she's gone. Oh, it's David Cameron. Uh, David Cameron, which country is currently hosting the 2023 Men's African Cup of Nations? Right, who's this? There's a f- clicking of... Oh, Alex Chalk, the Justice Secretary, very tall man. Uh, Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary. Here's a question for Gillian Keegan. What's seven times eight? No, Steve Barclay, Environment. What kind of creature, Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, what kind of creature lives in an apiary? No, nothing. Oh, Richard Holden. He's a, he's a minister without portfolio as well. Complete the, this well-known phrase. No, oh, he's gone. Mainly because I got confused there because the script says to beat a dead what? And they've put horse. That's not a well-known phrase, to beat a dead horse. Flog, flog. Richard Holden, are you flogging a dead horse? Oh, they're coming thick and fast now. Uh, Kemi Bader not there. Uh, Business Secretary, we don't have a question for her. Kemi, are you listening to the election station? Who's this? Mel Stride, working pensions. Again, no amusing question. Matt, Matt. Oh, I can't think of anything for Mel Stride. They're cutting it quite fine. It's only about 10 minutes before cabinet starts. Uh, normally they lay on tea and, tea and biscuits as well, I think. So uh, Mel Stride certainly be getting his biscuit. 
And the podcast award people have already been in touch about that content. Right, talking of podcasts, over on how to win an election this week, we are talking about polling and focus groups. So here's a little sneak peek of what Peter Manson, Polly McKenzie and Daniel Finkelstein have got to say. Polly, you know, I know you said you were at Sadler's Wells. Are you actually at PopCon? <laughs> oh my God, under the radar at PopCon. No, it is not my style. You're, not, you're, you're not the big defector for Liz Truss's launch of pop, popular, popular conservatism. Do we need another group, Danny? <laughs> no, look, I, 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 you know, you have to admire uh, Liz's chutzpah. Um, <laughs> you do. Uh, it's extraordinary. Um, it, you know, the the... the to be honest, to, to place the label, and first of all, to place the label popular on the, anything yeah. that she's associated with. It should with be this. unpopular. Exactly. <laughs> so it is odd. But secondly, um, it, it's obvious that you cannot get a new mission for the Conservative Party out of attachment to Liz, whether or not her arguments um, have value to, and you know, when other Conservatives believe in them, she cannot be the front person for it. That that must, that I cannot understand how that is not obvious to her allies, and perhaps it is, yeah. you know, which is why it's been accompanied by quasi Kwarteng deciding to stand down uh, from Parliament and at the same time um, Simon Clark deciding he's not going to go. Um, so, so I think Simon Clark was uninvited after he called for Wishy Sunak to go. Uh, Vanil Jawadina announced yesterday that he wasn't. So uh, when they first announced this a couple of weeks ago, the lineup was uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Liz Truss, Simon Clark, and Vanil Jawadina. And uh, unpopular conservatives have become less popular in the last two weeks. So there's only now two of them on the board. Just to let, let's um, do the thing we do. Let's be fair to Liz Truss, okay? So, uh, okay, <laughs> those, so... Those mugs are going to take some exactly. shifting on the so, merch shop. <laughs> so having said the things that I've said and knowing where I stand, um, the the... She stands for a certain kind of Laffer curve idea, right? Which is you cut taxes and it increases growth and you accompany that with a whole bunch of stimulating policies. I think that uh, for, for economic growth, I think that has got attractions to other conservatives and it has got attractions to a to a demographic actually as well um the problem i've got with it is i don't think it's correct i don't think that's what would happen um and you know i think that is what she experienced in that um in that period in office now the response she might have to that is well we never got to that point we you know the markets uh, incorrectly took the view that what i did wouldn't work and therefore they were spooked and they ran away from it but it would work that's her argument I think that is the the strong case for what she's proposing. But what I would say to her is, even if you are correct, and I, you know, I've suggested the way she is and she isn't, you possibly, Liz Truss, cannot be the front person for it. That is obvious. Peter, there's only one very simple way of understanding this. They think they've lost the election and they're fighting for the soul of the Conservative Party and control and direction of the Conservative Party after the next election. That's what they're doing. Yes, and they're there getting was, their, there sure, was a hilarious <laughs> line in the Times uh, on Saturday which said, it's understood that Liz has given up on her leadership ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> which well, I actually just as well, at, given that uh, the Saturday rest of the country has done so well. as I read that yeah. in, the, uh, in the paper. Um, no. uh, Polly, I just sort of wonder what, what, the, what the, she thinks the point of it is. I think it's really tough to give up on a life and career in politics. It's quite hard to do anything else 
frankly, because, you know... I'm talking about Liz Truss now, not you, Polly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she and I, we own the same dress, as we've discussed before. So, sisters from another mister. Well, you got yours from a charity shop, though, didn't you? (laughs) Well, I mean, that is true. (laughs) You know, being a person... Somebody's put something in Matt's tea to this morning. I don't know what's got in it. I've been to Downing Street this morning. I've got a bit overexcited. You're all excited, aren't you? Giddy. You you must remember going to Downing Street, Peter. I know it was a long time ago now. Once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Polly, go on. Oh, I can't remember. I went to Downing Street once, too. Uh, but I, you know, I do. I think that Polly's right, though. Um, you, you know, you're suggesting basically that uh, while she might not want to run for the leadership, she's got an idea and she's sort of going to keep going because what else would she do next? What's um, her big idea? Just well, to break just the bank it. all over again? No, it, the 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 idea, and it's been a very potent one inside conservative thinking for a long time, is that. Um, uh, you you improve growth primarily by removing restrictions from businesses, and you can you can probably cut taxes rap- more rapidly than people think because there's a supply side effect, right? You 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 get a an, an increase in growth as a result of it. I I am very questioning of that approach, and also so therefore, you know, the bit that was missing in her manifesto seemed to me to be a, a policy of control of public spending to go along with it, which I don't think was, by the way, practical. Uh, the time that she was proposing it, given the other things that were happening. So I, I'm. Th- th- there's no doubt she has got a central intellectual idea, that that idea has got a lot of adherence, um, that it has an intellectual heritage, and that there is a demographic for that kind of optimistic idea. Uh, my problem with it is I don't think it accords with reality. And right from the beginning, I said, I think her biggest problem isn't going to be, is not going to be winning the Conservative leadership it's going to be the battle against reality and in that battle reality ultimately always wins but it's the fate of all ideologues right is people say about communism you know oh the reason communism has failed is because real communism has never been tried you know liz truss has the belief that her real free market libertarianism never really got tried because the free markets got in the way of free marketism it, it's it's almost um it would be impossible to surrender that worldview in the face of reality if you're an ideologue. Yeah. Danny is a Bayesian. He changes his mind when new facts arise, um, as he you know, described it to us last week. So to my mind, those are the kind of people we ought to have as our leaders, people who are willing to adapt and negotiate with reality instead of trying to pretend that there's some sort of imagined version of life uh, over the hill, over the rainbow, wherever it might be. (laughs) And if you want to listen to the rest of How to Win an Election, just search How to Win an Election wherever you're listening to this. Up next is The Focus Group. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Big Thing. 
Yes, Times Radio, the election station. Well, we've been doing the election station since we launched all the way back in June 2020. Every month, we have been carrying out a focus group, exactly like political parties in Downing Street do, to hear from real voters in their own words how they feel the government's getting on, how the opposition doing, and what matters to people outside the Westminster bubble. And today we have got another one. It's a group of people uh, talking in their own words about the state of politics. Uh, the focus group run, uh, James Johnson, who's normally doing them, was struck down by some terrible lurgy. Uh, but his uh, colleague from Jail Partners, Tom Lubbock, is here. Tom, how are you? I'm good. Hi, Matt. Uh, we'll start, as we always do, with the traditional disclaimer, what is a focus group and what is it not? So a focus group is kind of the baby brother of opinion polls. Opinion polls are great if you want to get a snapshot of what the country thinks at a particular time. But if you want to dig deeper, if you want to get underneath the surface, then a focus group's the place to go. It's like we say telescopes and microscopes. The telescope is the opinion poll, looking at lots of uh, stars in the sky from a distance. But the focus group is like a microscope. You zoom in on the voters, you get to see exactly what they're made of. Okay, and who were they in the group this month? We're talking to voters in uh, Haywood and Middleton, uh, Don Valley and Birmingham Northfield. These are all switchers, as we call them, people who all voted Conservative in 2019. That's the really important thing. And now they're considering voting Labour. Uh, so, so that's the because um, people have said before, if you're undecided, then maybe they were, you know, they were a bit floaty, floaty. But these are people who, who told independent market research company. Yep. it's not Tom asking people. Nope. It's not me asking people. An independent company. They go up to you with a clipboard or call them up and say, uh, "Can I ask you some questions? How did you vote last time? Who are you thinking of voting for this time?" And we wanted just those people who voted Conservative in 2019 who now say they're going to vote Labour. So. Uh, all of the disclaimer done, no doubt somebody will message in almost immediately and tell us, this isn't representative, and where do you find these stupid people? So let's... Uh, it might, might even be Peter Mandelson messaging in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he, uh, he has strong views on focus groups. Uh, right, here we go then. This is what the group said uh, about how they think the current Conservative government is doing. I can't keep up with the changes in our government, with the changes of position... Who's doing what? I haven't got a clue. I can't keep up with it. It's a bit of a shambles at the moment. There's no consistency within the government, which I think lets this government down more than anything else. I mean, I'm not the third prime minister in space of 12 months, I think, so it's not a good look. I just kind of feel like everything's just a little bit up in the air, like we can't really trust on what's being said to us. The inconsistency message is really coming across. I just think that it's just... You know, like one big boy, big boys club. To be honest, um, how these um, these guys are elected within the party—it's got nothing to do with any of us. The pull out ideas out the out for there, and then like like take the childcare thing. Yeah, it's great. We're up in people's hours if have free childcare for eight hours. But if they've done the research, there's not enough childcare places as there is. Wow. So there we are, Tom. Uh, lots of changes. Inconsistent boys club. Really interesting. So I think what's really surprising there is the lack of specificity. So they weren't they weren't really furious about inflation or prices or anything like that. There was one specific criticism of childcare. But on the whole, it was a real general sense that things were just uncertain up in the air, that they didn't know where they stood. And that is really fascinating because that isn't something you would get from reading the newspapers or um, uh, listening to politicians. Well, I suppose a reminder uh, that normal people 
Yeah. You and I are unusual. Normal people don't spend a huge amount of time talking about politics. And it is a lot about vibes yeah. and mood and general broad brush impressions rather than the individual uh, policies and that sort of thing. Uh, so let's uh, focus in a, a bit more. You um, said that they were all feeling a bit fatalistic rather than cross. Like you said, they'd sort yeah. of, it wasn't anger, it was just like, Ugh. Uh, so you asked them why they were feeling like that. The, the cross side has kind of passed. I mean, just because we kick it off and scream about it and get upset about it isn't going to change anything because unfortunately these people aren't living that life. It's difficult to get angry because, uh, one, there's probably a lack of a good opposition party. And secondly, the the big issues of the day that we've had to cope with, which are a global problem and nobody knows how to solve those. So a sort of weary resignation. Yeah, that's. I think you had some polling out this morning that also showed the same thing. We always like to read the polls and the focus groups in conjunction. But I think what's interesting for me is that that is going to be hard to shift. When you get to that resignation stage it's going to, and that weariness, it's going to be very, very hard to shift people off that because part of what, the, what happens is they stop paying attention. And they stop listening. They, yeah. You know, when Rishi Sunak comes on the telly right. or the radio or whatever... If they're not even listening to what he's saying, whether it's announcing a new policy or attacking the other side, if they've just switched off, it's like, well, you would say that, oh, you know, none of that's going to happen. Uh, It goes like that. Harry's been in touch. This isn't representative. (laughs) Where did you find these stupid people? Oh, wait, sorry, it hasn't started yet. Thank you for that, Harry. Thanks, uh, Harry. For, for, yeah, hopefully that means that no one else will uh, do the same. Um, so on the economy specifically, uh, you asked them how they you know, how they feel about the economy right now and whether they've noticed any signs of recovery. I think everybody is just getting by. Nobody's really having like, we do bits of enjoyment, but it's like bills are always going up and so you're mm. not really enjoying life as such. Because living on my own and having a mortgage, um, you know, I, I, I do really feel it because I don't have any backup anywhere. And I think the whole, you know, work hard, play hard attitude that I kind of grew up with, you know, if you work hard, you're going to have more money and you're going to be able to do more things. It doesn't exist anymore. So we just we just work and eat, sleep and freeze and repeat from work hard play hard to eat sleep freeze repeat i mean it's got a good turn of phrase but it's it's pretty gloomy it really is and it's that disjunction that gap between what you hear if you turn on a news broadcast to what ordinary people are thinking is just so vast you know inflation has been halved interest rates have probably peaked they're about to start coming down it feels like there's sort of a good macro positive story if you listen to news broadcasts but then you talk to these voters and essentially they haven't noticed any of that Mm. they just know that prices have gone up a lot and they can't afford to do things which they used to do and that has not changed they can't see any sign of it changing and that creates these kind of really really quite bleak stories but also it's just a reminder that inflation you know might be uh, of interest to uh, economists but if you have a year inflation up by 10 percent and then on top of that, it's only up by 4 or 5%. That's still all up. Prices yeah. aren't, haven't gone back to where they were. And so they, you know, and wages haven't uh, matched it. So people do feel worse off. And so yeah. work hard, play hard becomes eat, sleep, freeze, repeat, uh, yeah. which is pretty miserable. But let's uh, focus then on, on Rishi Sunak uh, specifically. Uh, and uh, Tom asked this uh, panel of... Remember, these are people who voted Conservative in 2019, uh, now say they're thinking of voting Labour. Uh, so, to sum up, Rishi Sunak in a few words. His wealth, 
personal wealth removes him far too far away from the average person in the street. You just find him really smug at the minute. <laughs> I don't know why, just the way he looks and then he just, he says what he wants to say and then he shuts everything down. So it's just like, hmm. I, I've, I find him very patronising and um, um, smug. Um, and I, he's not in the uh, he's not in the real world because it, you know it doesn't affect him in the way the way he lives. I mean, he, they're saying that he's he's more he's, he's richer than the king. I think he's a bit of an idiot. Um, I don't really think he knows what he's talking about massively. If I'm honest, I think he's too far stretched away from your average person. I think he's a bit of a puppet. I think he's a, he he says what he's told to say. He is basically the puppet for everybody who wants him to do things and, you know, the bigwigs and that. To me, he's uninspiring. I think he's probably a caretaker leader uh, uh, waiting for the next uh, Conservative leader. <laughs> so having criticised him for chopping and changing too much, they think that, that, that you know, like buses and other ones going to be long in a minute. Exactly, yeah. Um now, the, the um, I mean, clearly, like his wealth, we've talked a lot about on the show before. When we when he first took over in some of the focus groups, people said, "Well, that's good. It means he's, you know, he's done something for himself. He's not in it for the money." After sort of post Boris Johnson, this yeah. feeling of sort of the the cronyism and all of that. Uh, but what sort of started as a, a, a small positive has become a negative. Yeah, it is just that gap again between these people's lives and how they see the Prime Minister. It wasn't a problem when they were doing all the normal things, they could afford to do everything they used to do, but it becomes more of a problem when money is really tight for them, wealth becomes more of a problem. And just it points to the real difficulty the Conservatives have got this year. Lots of people are saying, oh, the polls are going to close, but one of the real difficulties they've got is that out-of-touch gap that you just pick up in every focus group that we do yeah. it makes it really difficult again to even land a message to even get through to these people as we were saying earlier about being a bit turned off from politics now the the, the reference to him being a puppet um we've we had this in some focus groups uh, maybe a year or so with boris johnson boris johnson to start off with people thought he'd been you know he dealt a, a tough hand with covid he was doing the best he ca- could nobody w- nobody knew what to do in that situation a lot of benefit of the doubt and then as the wheels came off a bit this idea of him being a puppet being buffeted around and i wondered whether it's a sort of it's a way that voters express you know the weather vane choppy changey you know, he says different things to different people. He's just saying whatever some Svengali wants to say. It's a way of summing up that they don't think that that politician's very grounded. Yeah, I think it's a shorthand for two things. One is strength versus weakness. So if there was one thing I would say to come out of this whole group that Rishi Sunak could do to help himself, it's appear stronger to these people. They want strength and leadership. And the other thing is really that it shows kind of... It shows that kind of out of touch again. It's mm-hmm. a kind of... Um, yeah, that distance between the voters and their leaders. It's a sort of uh, a sort of disconnect. And I suppose then when he tries to do things which go against that, yeah. then it's seen as being what well, he's been told to do that by a, by a spin doctor, yeah. puppet master. Part, part of it is internal party politics as well. These voters see like squabble, they catch the edge of kind of squabbles inside the Conservative Party. And so they say, well, the Prime Minister's a puppet of the rest of the party. Yeah, and that's yeah. what we saw with Boris. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting there. So we heard uh, what they thought about uh, Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives. Now, this is what the group thought of Keir Starmer in a few words. Corporate. He's not a disruptor. He will keep the status quo. He comes across uh, um, a lot more enthusiastic and 
more sincere, if that's possible, with politicians than um, Rishi Sunak. Slightly more normal and a bit more likeable. I think that um, the face fits. You know, he's, he's, he seems to be a little bit more sincere, a little bit more down to earth than, than other people. I think he's very corporate, but I also think that he is quite happy to ruffle a couple of feathers as well. He, he's got a corporate feel about him and he's he's to the point. There's no wishy-washy with him. Highly educated, still very privileged, um, says it as it is, and a fighter and determined. It's interesting. We sometimes see this in the focus groups, Tom. One person uses the words and everyone mm. else sort of jumps on it. In corporate was clearly yeah. the one that, that, that took off there. Yeah, you have to watch out for that. But Keir Starmer was really sent by the focus group gods to keep us on our toes. A man who is 20 points ahead in the polls, but who these these focus group respondents have really complicated views about. And I, oh, that corporate thing was really interesting because that's the first time I've really picked up on that. Mm. And perhaps a, a sign that Labour might have gone too far on the pro-business, kind of slick, suits kind of approach. And I suppose actually the phrase, uh, not a disruptor, yeah, it's a sort of Keir Starmer almost actually just defining himself by his lack of radicalism. It's all about reassurance and steady the horses, and it's you know slow and steady wins the race, and you know it's not all about things going to get better and uh, and all of that. But you're right, you, you know you don't want to overdo that. It's going to tip into well, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, I remember when we first started doing these groups when he just became leader and he did not take off with the public. Uh, the thing that they said was he's just another guy in a suit and you need to avoid that at all costs at the moment in this climate. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember that because when uh, we used to have Deborah Matheson on talking about yeah. exactly those focus groups and she's now uh, running them for, right. uh, running from, uh, for Keir Starmer. Well, one of the things uh, that uh, certainly the Westminster Village has heard focused on a lot uh, lately has been the Labour Party's mixed messaging about uh, its £28 billion uh, Green Pledge. And it has uh, at least been picked up by one person in the focus group. Yeah, I've only heard a bit about them dialing back on the spending on the green energy from their initial promises. I think it's one of those things where it possibly will be expensive to begin with while we get everything set up, but then once it's set up, it should be mm-hmm. cheaper. Probably not a lot in the grand, grand scheme when you think how much they've just wasted on HS2. If you think of how much money we spent during COVID with furlough, um, you know, we... we <laughs> We got in debt there, so 28, you know, to save money seems a little bit better, at least with, with that, we're saving money. With COVID, we weren't. There's enough money to send to Ukraine for, there's always seems to be enough money for war, was there not enough money for our health and the, the planet? Generally, that generally happens. They come into power, they say this, say that, and then they everybody that's come in generally rolls back or, like, de-strips what, they, what their vision was or what they said they were going to do. So if he says he's going to do something, he should stick with it. Now, this is really interesting, Tom, because this goes to, well, part of the conversation we're having on this week's How to Win an Election. Peter Mandelson saying, oh, this is a good idea and then we should be spending the money on it. And actually, you can you can see that there's a way of sticking to this figure and the policy and persuading people that it's not that much money and it's the right thing to do. But they obviously are nervous. I suspect, you know, you could do another focus group and get the exact opposite answers. Like, where's that money coming from? It's going to push up my bills. But it's about leadership. And if the Labour, if the Labour leadership can't decide how to sell this policy, then you're going to lose that sort of benefit of the doubt. 
Yeah, I mean, that's why you pay people like us to come in and basically uh, break the tie. Because as you say, you could present it one way and it would go one way and it present it another way and it would go another way. My professional opinion on this group is that the way they saw the Green Prosperity Plan is in rather positive terms. Mm. I didn't see any risk with them at all, not with this group. So in as much as this group is drawn from that group of switchers, the Green Prosperity Plan is something they want to be led on. But, yeah. oh my God, listening to them, have Labour got themselves in a pickle? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because they ended up sort of thinking, well, I thought that was a good idea. Why now, yeah. you know... Uh, the worst of all worlds, almost. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because you end up annoying the people right. who thought it was a good idea without totally reassuring people who thought there, yeah. there was an issue with it. So um, this was unusual because we knew when we, did, we recorded this focus group on uh, on Friday night. And we knew that Keir Starmer was going to be speaking to Kate McCann for an interview on Times Radio. So we asked, or I didn't, Tom asked the group, uh, if you could put a question to Keir Starmer, what would it be? Uh, so we picked out, this is a question from Tim. Tim asking the question, and then Keir Starmer's response. Are you going to be like every other politician ever and just go back on your word? Are you actually going to do what you say? I think this is a very important question and challenge. The five missions I've set out are the what of what I want to change. The what, what is it that you want to change? Um, and why, of course. Um, the question then is to work out how do you get there? That's the job of government. Um, and I'm a pragmatist. If I think, um, if I'm absolutely clear in my mind what it is I'm trying to achieve, which I am and have been, I think it's a really key feature of leadership, then um, and someone says there's a quicker, different, better way to get there, then be I'm happy. ears to that, of course. I um, I'm not absolutely sure, Tom, that that answer was not what you'd expect from a sort of AI politician bot. Yeah, I'm not sure when Labour test their material in these focus groups that they're necessarily doing the best job, because what you want to hear is the first ten words. Mm. Maybe the first three words as well, but what's the first ten words that convinces that guy who is ready to vote for you that you know what you're talking about and you're not going to be like another politician, yeah. you're not going to flip-flop? And it, I didn't hear that. Instead he launched into talking about his five missions and how they are the what of right. what I want. And the why. And the why, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and the how. Um, <laughs> and I suppose actually what you want there... And it's different because clearly Tim wasn't in the room with Keir Starmer, yeah. so it was someone else passing on the question. But what, maybe the answer is to say, look, I totally get it. You know, for too long, politicians have made promises and they haven't been kept. That's what drove me into politics because I'd been, you know, I had a big job before and I wanted to yeah. come into politics. And then people know that I'm a pretty straight kind of guy and I'm the one who's going to deliver it. Instead, instead, it was a slight word salad. But interesting nonetheless. Hopefully, uh, Tim feels slightly. Uh, reassured by that uh, right uh, let's go back to the focus group now this was asking them to compare Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer and who is clearer about what they stand for I feel like it's really hard to sort of say to be perfectly honest I'm not sure what either of them stand for because it changes that puts me off them actually um, I like truthfulness and that's why that's why I think originally I liked Boris Starmer to me. Um, he's he's clearer in his in the views that he comes across with. You can be as clear as that. A lot more you're not in power, but then as soon as you come in power and things start to change for you, it's all about saying you'll do this, you'll do that. While you're not in power, uh, if it, if either side elected a different leader, uh, it would be different. For example, if Labour elected Jess Phillips, 
but I see Keir as just one of those establishment figures. So I honestly think they're both pretty much as bad as each other for changing. So interestingly, the reason we asked this question because we also had this YouGov poll mm-hmm. for Times Radio to sit alongside it. And on the question of how clear or unclear are you about what uh, Rishi Sunak stands for, 47% said clear, uh, 44% said unclear. So actually more people said they were clear what Rishi Sunak stood for than unclear. For Keir Starmer, it's almost exactly reverse. Only 40% said clear, 49% unclear. So actually more people are clear what what Rishi Sunak stands for than Keir Starmer. Even amongst, this is interesting, more Tory voters are clear on what Rishi Sunak stands for than Labour voters are clear on Keir Starmer. So, I mean, all this caveated, obviously, Tom, with the fact that Labour have got a 20, 25-point lead in the polls. But this uncertainty of, it, it almost feels like part of the problem is that the Conservatives don't know what to do with Keir Starmer. They can't work out, is he an empty vessel who doesn't know what he's doing? Or is he a secret socialist mastermind who's going to radically change the country because they tried both they haven't really sort of landed on the attack but clearly Keir Starmer hasn't really persuaded people that he knows what he's up to um, Peter Manderson was saying earlier that the Conservative operation has always been more effective and always been better at focus groups and juicing things down. And what they've done here is juiced down that concern about Keir Starmer into the fact he does not have a plan. And you've heard that over and over again. Whether or not that is going to prove a successful line in the long term, I'm not 100% sure listening to this group, but it's certainly a good one for now and it chimes with everything they told us. And actually, that a little bit that reporting back. I mean, yeah. you know, he hasn't got a plan. Feels like something you could have picked up in a focus group. Yeah. And, you know, like exactly. take control on that. You get Brexit done. You loop back what people are are saying. So this is then uh, fi- final questions in the focus group. Imagine the outcome of the election. So first up, imagine there's been an election. Labour has won. Keir Starmer's standing on the steps of Downing Street. How do these former Tory voters now say they're going to vote Labour? How do they feel imagining that scene? Anticipation. Positive anticipation, yeah, that would be, um, that would how I'd feel. Probably transition. Change. Mom's going to be change as well. Optimistic. And asked then to imagine Rishi Sunak back in Down Street as Conservative Prime Minister after the election. How do they feel about that? Uh, probably be disappointed. Uh, kind of despair, I think. Disappointed. Dread. Deflated. I'd be thinking of ousting him. Indifferent. <laughs> Indifferent. Well, there we are. Uh, again, we've got polling alongside that. YouGov polling for Times Radio showed 23% of people would be delighted if Keir Starmer uh, formed the government. 11%, so half of that, thought that they'd be delighted if Rishi Sunak formed the, uh, the next government. More than half, 54% would be dismayed if the Tories are back, compared to 34% who said the same of Labour. Uh, and the rest either didn't know or didn't didn't mind. Um, what would be your, your advice then, Tom, to the to the two parties? Uh, looking at this, you know, the polling and the focus groups we've done over a long period of time, it feels like it's sort of slightly settling now in this, this sort of like... Oof. Yeah, I think if you look at this group, um, the, the faction in the Labour Party that want to absolutely take all the barnacles off the boat and just reduce the risk to nothing, we'll find something in here in that when we ask these this group to talk about Starman and Sunak, they had kind of 
they mumbled about both of them and then in the end said they were really positive about the thought of Starmer on the steps of Downing Street yeah. so they're going to vote Labour. But on the other hand, it's really clear to me that they are there to be led on things like the Green Prosperity Plan, but they just want strong leadership generally. And if they can find that in one of these two leaders, then, you know, the election could change dramatically. Well, it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. For, thank you for stepping in as well and playing the part, no problem. James, uh, James Johnson. Uh, Tom Lubbock there from JL Partners. Uh, and we'll have another focus group uh, next month. And if you want to listen to any of our other focus groups, just search for Times Radio Focus Group wherever you're listening to this. Don't forget, you can get in touch. Email me, matt at times.radio. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. 